Welcome back to Not Superwoman and our part two with the wonderful Georgie Coughlin and her episode, Following Curiosity and Setting Boundaries. In the rest of this episode, we talk about Georgie's reflections of the media industry, escaping the city and starting her personal development retreat, Birmingham Farm, and her appreciation for process over product. We can't wait to share the rest of this episode with you. Welcome, Georgie. So that takes me to my question about, I was listening to you on another podcast and you were saying how you um, feel fortunate that you entered into the media industry a bit later because you'd already sort of lived a few lives and, and done, so you came into it with a different perspective. Mm. My question about Birmingham Farm and your hotel in Ballarat, I mean, that fascinates me because that indicates and sort of says to me that your something was... Um, saying I also need to remove myself from the media industry because is it because it's so full on or fast pace? Was that a part of the decision making process to to have something rural and regional and escapism? Yeah, the media is such a weird beast. I mean, you've worked in the media, you know what it's like. It's it's very it's a machine, mm. and I was never under the illusion that I was working for someone. I was always under the – I knew that I was working for something. It's, you know, Channel 10's not a person. Yeah. Like when people are like, oh, you're loyal to the network. Um, no, it's not a person. Mm. It's, a, it's a thing mm. and it's a system and it's a system designed to make money and entertain. So you've just always got to be making sure that are you serving it or is it serving you? Mm. And so my question was always like, is this serving me? And – there just came a point where um, the energy I felt with Project, it was such a magnificent show to do for 11 years from, the, from when I was pregnant with Molly. It was a really special time in my life and, I, and the people on it are just incredible. The team is amazing. The production team was phenomenal, let alone the relationships and the friendships I have with, you know, Waleed and Pete and in particular and all the people I got to work with. So that was hard to give up. But, you know, it just, it had just run its course. I wasn't getting the fulfillment and the nourishment that I used to get and something had changed for me Mm. and yeah media you know it's a it's a tough game so it's it just wasn't serving me anymore and Mm. when I was having to take myself out of my grounded environment with mother nature on the farm with my family and when I was going up I was I was weighing that up I was like I'm leaving this incredible environment am I getting nourished and the answer in the end was and I suppose it's also about value when things you need to also always feel valued and I felt really valued on that show for a long time and mm. then something did change and mm. I felt like the dynamics had changed and so that was an easy decision for me. It was like I think it's done mm. and again it was the body thing. Yeah, Like it took me nearly six months and I just kept – I was like, yeah, no, it's – So did your husband – like did you chat to him about it? Like did you say I don't know whether this is right for me anymore and our family? Like was it a family decision too? Look, he's amazing in that he would support – he's, you know, we obviously we have to work through the dynamics and we work through the logistics, but he's he's so wonderful that he's my anchor that he knows that I'm the crazy – I'm probably more of the dreamer. Yeah. And he's incredibly – he's still very creative and has beautiful – we have beautiful visions together that we work on. We're very, we're very in sync like that, but he's more of the anchor. He's more yeah. of the well, – well, I can be the kite that sort of flies up high – 
and get I, I sort of get us to jump off the cliff and whatever and he brings us back down to ground and says, okay, that's amazing but we also need to make sure this is making money or we're doing this or whatever. He's just so wonderfully grounding. But, I mean, I, I had a situation last year which I think you will find interesting where I was auditioning for a big musical theatre show and it was me putting myself back into the ring for musical theatre and it was the most incredible – it was a reminder which we haven't touched on today which I want to talk to you about, about process over product. Mm-hmm. And that is something that – the process of doing things now, and Tilda Swinton talks about this beautifully, the process of it is more important to me than the product. And what I mean by that is Project was a beautiful example. I weirdly used to drive Peter Hellier nuts. I loved the meeting. So I loved the production meeting and I loved mm. the fleshing out and as Brene says, down in the weeds. I love that bit. So I would love being in the, in the meeting. Like Pete would already have done his funny meeting and he'd be just like, can we just get – Whereas I'd, I'd draw it out and he's like, Georgie, come on. I'm like, I love this. So I love the process. So would you do that before every episode? Every episode. And then the, the presenting bit is, is super fun. But for me, that was like the 10%, the icing mm-hmm. on the cake. For me, it's the going in, seeing the team. I used to take a cake in. I used to bake a cake from the farm. It's the connection. Yeah. It's like, hey, look at our stories and analyse that. Like that's the sort of brain I've got. I love looking at the big picture and how does it all fit. And, mm, but is that the best person for that? Like shouldn't we be – and I'd challenge talent. They'd be like, oh, God, can she just come that's in? That's you. <laughs> can she just come in and do the show? And I'm like, oh. And that's what I love. I love the creativity of that. I'm less, I'm less obsessed with the – you know, like the the end little bit. I yes. do love that bit and I love that part of it, but it's the process. Yeah. And so I love I love the process of how all this these things work. So anyway, I was I was my manager got me this I, I got contacted to actually audition for a role in a really big musical that's been in in Melbourne this year. Yeah. And the process was petrifying but amazing. Had to send like, you know, tapes off to the UK and blah, blah, blah. And anyway, long story short, I got I had to do my final audition in Melbourne. And this is big, you know, big for mama. I'd been out of the musical theatre game for a long time. Simon and Molly had been amazing in learning all the stuff with me and Simon was playing, like doing all the oh, stuff. I love that so much. And so that process was so beautiful and so nourishing and so exciting. Mm. And I went into – I remember sitting in my car, my manager, before the final audition, and she's like, hey, feeling, hey, feeling. I'm like, I'm really good. I'm really calm. I meditated. I put my intention out and said, I just want to do the best job that I can do here so that I have no regret, and I just want to enjoy the process. So I went in, and I sat down. I sat down. You know, all the panel from the UK were there, and I sat down with them. And and I very rarely say this because I am a perfectionist, so my self-critic talk is very harsh, but I, I bloody nailed the audition. Like, I just <laughs> nailed it. I remembered all my lines. I sang the shit out of it. No I, regrets. I had no regrets and I got in the car and I was just so elated and I was like, oh, my God, I bloody nailed that. And I had this sense of peace. Anyway, so then the sort of the tricky bit came where it was like – but meanwhile all my back had started to seize up, um, which never happens. And so I was, I was holding on to this terrible anxiety of like, what if I get it though? Like what if I get the gig? It's that whole thing about what if I get the dream? Because it is a massive It's a huge commitment. Particularly when mm. I live – it's different when you live in Melbourne, when yes. I live in the country. So yeah. I was like starting to go, what if she's sick one day? Oh. And I knew that it was a huge commitment and I'd have to half live in Melbourne. And so my whole body was – because I'm very emotional, so I was holding on and my back was seizing up and I, was, I couldn't run and I was just in this bad place, mentally a bad place. And I eventually I get the call from my manager like three weeks later. She goes, so – and I said it was <gasps> – and she said, you got down to the final two – but you didn't get it. And I remember just going, Relief. oh, 
And I was so relieved. I was like 1% sad, but I was just so relieved. And so that was such an important process of me to then reassess that and go. And my husband, meanwhile, was like, we'll make it work. So your question about, you know. Yes, yes. He said, we'd make team. that work. We'd be a team, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but what about, what about, he goes, we'd make it work. Like, he's amazing like that. And I'd get a bit guilty going, yeah, but I can't just follow these dreams just because they suit me. And, and even Molly was like, mom, you've got to do it if you go to it. And it was just a beautiful process as a family. But it was a really important process because it made me realise I don't know whether I want that anymore. Mm. So I totally changed my perspective now. And I've said to my manager, I don't want to do auditions for shows at the moment. You know, it'll change when she gets older. But I don't want to do auditions for shows that would take me out for like 12 months. Or I just don't want to do it. So it was this beautiful example of where the process was more important than the product. And maybe you needed – well, obviously, to go through that process I wouldn't, to analyse it and realise that's yes. not where I want to be now. And my body just then completely relaxed. My back problems all just disappeared. Like it was it's just so funny. It how was we so fascinating, it. but it was such an important part of my process and my career of going. Isn't that beautiful? I just have no. I know exactly what I want now. That's really boundary. Like if a show was three months or two months or um, I want to sing and I want to do – and then I, it was great because then I just totally changed my tune. I wrote my own show, my own one-woman show, and I performed that on the dates that I wanted. Our daughter sang in it. She Molly sang so at Molly the end. Molly can sing. She's musical. She's got yeah. a beautiful voice. But And the joy I had from doing that show on my terms in my life with my family sitting there with our daughter singing, I was like, isn't that beautiful? I wouldn't have this joy if I didn't go through that process. Yes, yeah, because you would have been completely trenched in another different world. And that would have taken away all the opportunities to do something like that. And then my brother got sick and we lost mum's heart. And I just – every every day this year I have said to the universe, thank you so much. I didn't get that. Thank you so much. And isn't that amazing? Like with with really honest joy. And sometimes things just work out. Yeah. Trust the process. Run, Sarah Wilson says, run the experiment and trust the process. Mm. And that's really hard sometimes when you're in the shit. Like even, you know, when I was going to visit my brother and he's just so unwell and terrible chemo and just so heartbreaking and you're walking out bawling your eyes out and you're just so uncomfortable with the pain, but it's sitting in that and going, just trust this process. Mm. And even though sometimes, you know, it doesn't always work out the best, and some people might say, you know, I did trust the process and it didn't work out. There's still nothing wasted from that. Mm. You know, there's still growth and something that you can take out of that that you can change your life. Mm. So Birmingham Farm itself, you've been able to cultivate like such an incredible environment and space for not only you as a family, but I noticed that it hosts retreats and you've had Lyle Stone there. This weekend. Yeah. Lyle. Oh, yes. it was so exciting. Mm. So was that on the vision board? Was that the goal? I want to be able to create a retreat for people? No, not that formalised. It's funny sometimes that you just have to sprinkle time on an idea and then it grows. I, I very much feel like Birmingham's like a garden. It just it started to shoot and I got some ideas and we're in COVID and we're really stressed. My husband, a bulging disc in his spine because he was so stressed about the restaurant and the hotel and, oh, God, that was just the worst time. I'm so proud of our marriage that we came through that the way we did because, it, God, it was a test. And I remember going to design the stables. Again, run the experiment and things weren't aligning. Like I was trying to design them a certain way, just this, this little shed on the um, on, onto this. We got lucky enough to have an outdoor horse arena and it just wasn't aligning like the builder I was arguing with the builder and then he quit and I was like oh my god what's going and then I just did that thing I sat back and I went listen look at the signs this is not aligning what's happening here what's I've got to trust the 
the process. Run the experiment, George. So I sat back and looked at it objectively and meditated on it and then realised, actually, maybe that needs to be completely different. Maybe I need to design it to be more of a functional space that I could do other stuff in. Maybe it's not just stables. Mm. So then that was the first idea. Right. And then my husband and I were like, actually, I said, why don't I put a little kitchenette in? And so in case, you know, and he's like, oh, we don't probably need to do any of that, all of that, do we? And just I'm some like, small weddings. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, maybe I've, I get I just get it. I just trust it again, body. I was like, I just feel that we probably just need to make this multi-purpose space. Yeah. And then it became a place of healing. So it all just flowed and designed. Everything just sort of went then. All the builder, the, the builder was available at the right time. Everything aligned. Mm. So I said to him, this is aligning. This is exciting. And it became a beautiful healing space for us during COVID when we were so stressed. We'd go down there with Molly and we'd just build together in silence. And that was really healing. Mm. And then I started to go, oh, okay, maybe I could. I, I just meditated on it. And I'm like, maybe I could do like retreats or... I've always wanted to help particularly women and men, but women, maybe we could do this. And then I'm like, why couldn't we get Brene Brown? Does she have facilitators in Australia? And I'd search that up and i go, she does. Hang on. <laughs> so then it just grew. Mm. And like anything, like a garden, there were certain paths you'd go down and it hasn't worked out. Those plants just died off and didn't work. And I had to pull those out and go, that's not the right direction. But it, it sort of tells me and it shows me and it, it speaks to me. I know that sounds really woo-woo, but it shows me. It's mm. like... I don't know whether you get that with this podcast where you go to interview someone and it all falls over. Then you're like, that probably wasn't meant mm. to be. Like maybe that was something bigger than us going, I don't know whether that was actually us anyway, was it? Yes, yeah, we so often true. have these And now we've come back on track and gone, and now we've gone down this path. Yes. And oh my God, we wouldn't have gone down this path if that path didn't End. collapse. Yeah. So that's what I've done with Birmingham. Like we had a few events planned at the start that didn't take off. And I'm like, oh sit in, okay, let's sit in the alignment. This is not working. And then we, you know, I'd contact Lale, everything, like the whole Lale thing, everything was done and dusted within three days. Like I contacted her, did a Zoom, on the Zoom, locked the dates in, dates were filled, bang. Like just the right. yeah, universe so going, bang. It's easy. This is it's what you need. Yeah. Whereas others going, oh, this is difficult or this is not working. And I just listen to those. Don't judge. I just go, this is not right. Yeah. And then I let it go and it often just dissolves. Mm. So it, it's – and it's still evolving I have an open heart and mind with that. I'm like, where Birmingham's going to go next? So we've just got these two artists that are coming early next year that are amazing and they're going to do these beautiful workshops where you get to paint a stunning, really stunning picture, that painting that you'll put up in your room, mm. in your house. And that's art coming into Birmingham for the first time and I'm so excited about that. And then we want to do equine therapy. We want to do dog therapy. I've got my big vision for where I see it in five years I've got who I want to collaborate with, but that'll all come with time. So I don't rush that. No, it's amazing. I mean, as you're talking, not only am I in awe of of how it's flourishing, but I also think about, I'm like, wow, how much can one woman do? This is an, an extraordinary amount of, of, of like opportunity, but also from, from musical theatre to Birmingham Farm to selling your hotel in Ballarat to, to then being in media and presenting and hosting and... I'm like, how do you manage under – and also being a public figure where you have to put your renowned for your gorgeous smile and your, you know – Very kind. No, but you, you, you've got yeah, a very vibrant nature. Then how do you front up and, and play that role, so to speak? And I don't want to say it's 
fake. Yeah. I, but I'm sure there are days where you feel like you've got to really like pull it together. Mm. But how do you manage under all of that pressure and juggle all of those projects? Oh, that's very kind. It's so weird to hear someone talk about your life like that because you're just doing what you you do. Do you know mm. what I mean? And you guys don't, and you know, you don't necessarily get on, on Instagram and see your days of doubt or see your days when it's all too much and the days. And I've been really open about my anxiety mm. when I feel anxiety mm. and that's my great, that's my body talking to me going, "Mm -mm, Mm. like too much, what are you doing? And so I always thank it and say, thank you for this. Thank you for showing me anxiety that I need to slow down or that person's a bit toxic or maybe that comes back to a beautiful family and sense of self because even though you have your days where your self-critic can be really powerful, I don't mind if people don't like me. Mm. Like I really don't need the validation of someone proving me mm. that makes sense that's oh, totally well, and to be honest in the privilege of meeting a lot of people so far through this podcast it seems to be a common um theme theme mm, and yeah. it's funny I, I i just again so in awe of it because i'm not sure when at what stage in my life that you know that i lost the ability to to not care mm. And started to care more about the please, you know, pleasing disease and the pe- people pleasing side of it. That you do, you do dip back and in. I don't want it to sound ignorant or arrogant or confident, overconfident. You can, you can definitely dip back in. So it can be a friendship breakdown. It can be something happens with, I don't know, maybe you've got a friend who your kids aren't getting along and some, there's an issue there, and suddenly it's like, oh my god, like we've got to talk. This is really uncomfortable in my friendship. You can you can very much step into the shadow of self doubt. Don't get me wrong; like mm. I don't want it to feel like it's a like all Pollyanna. But whenever I sit back, and this is embodiment, you know, you can see someone, you meet someone at a party, or you see someone when you know when you leave. Do you, does this ever make sense to you that when you leave your body because you're abandoning yourself? Mm. Do you mean in the moment of, say, having a conversation where you're – do you mean physically in the moment of having a conversation with someone and just feeling like you're sort of putting on a facade in a way to interact with them and in, and, and entertain that conversation even though you're abandoning – Who you are. Who you are to have it. Do you know what that – I reckon the closest – I reckon as soon as you can start to feel what that's like when, Jesus, I'm abandoning myself here. Like I'm leaving my – it's a hard thing to describe. So it's when you – you could be at a – it could be – I'll give you a couple of examples that my girlfriends and I've always worked throughout the years is um, it's very common for a lot of my friends and I to talk about where the pressure of being the perfect daughter-in-law, say. It'd be like when you're sitting at a, at a cocktail party or a, a function and someone would say to me something that I find quite highly offensive but they'd say it in a way like it's, it's like, like I, I openly, you know, don't support Donald Trump and they'd be like, I mean, he's amazing, isn't he? I mean, you must, you must think he's great and whatever. If I just went, yes, he's wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, and not even that strong. No, like if I just went quiet and just went, all oh, right, so you, okay, you really align with his values and whatever. And I'd be listening or whatever, but it's that's probably not a great example. But I can feel myself abandoning myself, I right? I know I what call, you mean. I know the feeling, but I call it a, I bristle. So everything on me kind of just you're physically aware physically that you are uncomfortable. Aura. So something shifted in you physically, yeah, right? I can but feel you, it. but the words that are coming out of your mouth are like sort of part of your brain's going, "What the fuck yeah, are you yeah, saying, yeah, 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 George?" Yeah. Or And even when, you know, a really hard example is when someone might want to look after your child or something and you they go, you're okay if I just drive away. And you know this person is not a, is a dangerous driver or whatever. And you sort of go, oh, um, 
and this that 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 feeling. You know yeah, that feeling? Yeah, totally. Awful. You've left your body. Yeah. That's disembodiment, right? Right. And it's rather than being so anchored and so calm and within your body that you quickly check and go, that is not okay. No, that doesn't work for me. That's not going to work for our family. Like, you know how anchored that feels? Yes. Like, I've stayed in my body there. If we can get to know that feeling, that's when you don't abandon yourself. And that's when you don't care if somebody says something or I hate the way she presents or if someone, you know, puts something on Instagram that's really awful. If I leave my body and I read it at night before I go, I'm not in my body all night. I've got anxiety all night. That thought's playing around in my head. That's why I never check social media at night. Mm. I wait till I've got up in the morning, I've meditated, I'm grounded, I'm in my body. Mm. And then I'm able to read the thing and go, hmm, shit comment, nothing to do with me, delete. You <laughs> yeah. know, like what a difference. So I suppose the, the very long-winded, because I love to talk, way of answering <laughs> that, Beck, is, yeah, you just, you, you, you're never going to please everyone. No. You're never going to. And, mm. and you just, all you're going to do is abandon yourself continually with these people in your life and you're just going to keep losing who you are rather than going, well, this is who I am. You know, I'm gonna, I'll keep growing. I'll keep trying to be flexible. I'll shut, I can dissolve that boundary if that person's being really beautiful and respectful and I can – you can always drop boundaries. Mm. You know, you don't have to imprison yourself. You can yep. always drop them. Yep. You can drop boundaries after a year or two. There are boundaries, some boundaries in my life that I will never drop because of lack of trust. Mm. That's just to protect me. Boundaries are about self-care. Mm. And sometimes the best way for you to love someone is to have a boundary in place. Like the only way I can love certain people in my life is having a boundary in place. Mm. Otherwise I can't love them. It's such good Because advice. there's no trust. I know. So if I don't trust someone that's in my life, that's really sad, but I can just go, oh, my God, I don't trust them. I hate them. I can go down that terrible toxic path or I can say the only way for me to love that person in my life is that I have this boundary in place. That's how I can love you. Mm. And you know what? That's okay. Mm. So I think it being in the public eye, you have to have boundaries, you have to have self-love and you have to understand that not everyone's going to like you. And guess what? That's okay. Mm, totally. I think women, and I don't want to speak generally, but there is a common pattern where we, yes, I've been raised to please, speak nicely, you know. Um, it's the patriarchy. Yes. And so you you end up in this environment where you do completely um, – uh, serve, serve, and and you don't set those boundaries for yourself, and then in turn you eat away at your your values and integrity. And so I hear that as such a strong message to say, you know, that's how important it is because it eats at your mental health mm-hmm. and it eats at your well being, and then that filters down to your family and your children and your friends. So it just. I think I'm saying it to even reassure myself. (laughs) But we do. You're up against huge culture wars. You're up against huge culture wars of what we put up as the poster child of a good woman. She is such a good mum because she sacrifices everything. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Sacrifices her mental health, sacrifices who she is. So she's this shell of a thing at the end of the day. That's not healthy for anyone. No. And that's what we have put up. That's been the belief system and that's been the whole structure a whole new episode we could do on patriarchy and not serving the patriarchy. It's about saying that, that, no, it's women have to have self-care, they have to have boundaries, and we've got to teach this next generation, particularly our girls and our little boys, that martyrdom and being a martyr will just deplete you and then give you resentment. Mm. 
Because then you expect other women to do it. Slope. Mm. You expect other women to do it. And other women are like, I suffered and I did this, so why can't you? And it's like, because I'm not doing that. I've watched how unhappy it made you. Yes. So, yeah, it's, it's beautiful that we have this open conversation now that you can say no mm. and you don't need to apologise. Mm. Oh, no, sorry. No, that's no. not going to work no. for me. No, I love that. So we always sort of end, you know, our episode closer to the idea of hindsight. Some people don't love it because they do think it's more like a regret thing, but I see it as such helpful advice for someone that might be in the position that you were once in Mm -hmm. to hear a reflection on what you would have told yourself or done differently Mm -hmm. um, might help them in that given moment. I mean, what would you go back and tell or nurture to your younger self about your boldest decision moment? Mm-hmm. Um, like what, what is something that you think back on and go, God, I, 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 I wish I handled it this way or I wish I, th- I you know, was kinder to myself or something that sort of – do you have a reflection on when you – like even, you know – And it I doesn't need I, to be professional. No. Yeah, I do like that question because I'm always um, – I hate that question. <laughs> I'm always interested in the question when I watch other hosts and I always think, you know, do you know how you always play out this amazing movie in your, line that, in your mind that when I get interviewed by Oprah, I say this. <laughs> I'm constantly doing that. A little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> and if, I'm, if someone ever said any regrets, I always find that such a fascinating question because my question there is what does that question mean because – is having no regrets meaning you haven't reflected on that life enough? Because I think everyone's got regrets. Like I've got regrets about the way I treated people in the past. I've got, of course, like I've got so many regrets. But would I, you, you know what I mean? Like if I if you, totally, I haven't always been a great person. Like yes, I, I just think I've yeah. made so many mistakes and oh, I I just think about how I treated someone in the playground yeah, or, you know, yeah, the yes, way I was yeah. just, I think I read out a boy's letter in year eight when he when he wrote me this beautiful heartfelt letter, I think I read it out at a sleepover in front of all of these, my friends, and like how mortifying that I did that. What an awful person I was back but then. you learn and you grow. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then if you're asking me about the, destina- the destination and life's destiny, which is where I am now, I wouldn't change one moment yes. because I wouldn't be the woman I'm st- that's it sitting here. Because it shapes you. All those me. regrets and things that you've – mistakes or things that have happened. Wouldn't change a thing. Make you the person you are now. Yeah. So when I – I love that question. So probably one of my bravest decisions was leaving a very unhealthy relationship and my sense of self was shot to shreds and that's when I began the journey of rebuilding who I am and that was a game changer. I wouldn't have – my beautiful partner now. I wouldn't have my daughter. So I get really emotional thinking about it because I think – oh, thank God that happened to me because I just wouldn't have Mm. these beautiful humans in my life. And God, it was shit. You know, I was in a fetal position. That's what I don't want to make life glossy. Mm. Like I was in a fetal position every night on the Today Show. I remember walking into my boss telling him that that relationship was over. I was drinking probably a bottle and a half of wine a night. Mm. I was in a bad place, Mm. bad place mentally. You know, and I think people forget that. They look at all your successes and you saying to me, you know, you've done all this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I've had, I've had a shit show chapter mm. as well. And so what I would say to, to Georgie back then, who I don't really recognise that woman anymore because she was just a shell. She was like this dried up little husk of who she was. Mm. And she needed to go into the chrysalis and do all this work. Is I'd say to her, you'll be okay. And everything that's happened to you is going to make your life even more beautiful. Mm. So nothing is wasted. Mm -hmm. So sit in the pain, sister. 
I know it's shit, but you, you've got to sit in the pain to get this beautiful gold mm. at the end. Mm-hmm. So that, was, that would be where I would grab myself. And, you know, I even have moments where I think when, when people ask me that question, what would you go back and say to your younger self? You know, I'd talk to her about fertility. I'd go, oh, sister, you might want to freeze your eggs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you might want to get in your 20s and freeze your eggs and start seeing a fertility specialist earlier. But then I'm like, but no, no, no. because – I wouldn't then have Molly who was came to us naturally. We, we did IVF after her. I don't think as much as I have moments where I, I really had to grieve the children that I didn't get to have. Like mm-hmm. I look at women with two or three children, I think, because oh, I always imagine myself with three kids or four kids. But I wouldn't be here now because I wouldn't be able to do all the other stuff I've done in my life. Mm. I wouldn't be able to probably give you what's in my cup today. I just – that wasn't my destiny. Mm. So I don't even – want to go back and say that to her because mm. I'm so glad I didn't have children in that really awful relationship. I'm so glad I waited for Syme and now have Molly and I don't think – I yeah, I'm just so grateful for everything. So it's funny. I I would just say to that girl, you're doing okay and you just keep doing what you're doing and move through the pain and you will find a happiness and a sunshine on your face that you've never felt before. Mm. So stay in the darkness for a while. That's beautiful. That honestly, I know a bit of much. <laughs> no, no, it all, it all. But it's so true because you think back to you know those moments. I can think of a similar moment. Well, not the same, obviously, but yeah. yes. And that pain makes you grow and move forward. Yes, and changes the trajectory of your life. Yeah, yeah. And even this moment we're having now, with tears in our eyes, <laughs> we don't get that connection without the pain. Yes, no. because you get it. Well, you never would have felt it, and you can't. Yes. Like what you said, can't grow. empathize. Yeah, but yeah. once you've felt it and you've been it and you see it in other women, and I think that's why I'm so passionate about helping other women. Like mm. that's why I just I jump at anything like this today that's going to help that girl that's drinking the wine tonight, wherever she is, whether she's a single mum with three kids that's just found out, or whether it's a young girl that's eighteen that's in a shit relationship. I just want that girl to hear my voice and our voices and say, oh, my God, that's me. Like, mm. And I remember and I remember distinctly, I always loved Kate Langbrook. She's a gorgeous, very supportive, loyal colleague and a wonderful friend. She sends the most beautiful messages when you just need it the most, and even mm. though she won't know. But I remember being in such a shit place and she was doing radio with Husey and I think they were on drive. And I remember she just made this flippant comment of like, when somebody – breaks your heart or breaks your trust, it is soul-destroying. It is shit. You get rid of that person. Like she just made this sort of flippant comment, but it just jumped out of the radio and spoke hit to me, me and yeah. hit me. And it's from women – and it, that, that like sort of buoyed me and kept me going and made me not go back to that relationship and kept me on track. Like and she would have never even – I've always told her about that. So, you've, you know, you've got to always use your story to try and help others mm. and then – you just don't know the impact sometimes that your story will give someone. Totally. And what you guys are doing here is so beautiful. It's like you're sharing this wisdom and this connection to help so many women that, that are in the car and having a really shit day and you might just change the course of their decision-making. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> I mean, I know you certainly have have in this episode particularly and you. I'm just, yeah, feel very honoured that you would share such raw vulnerability with us and but also come into this with such like – a positive attitude. It reminds me to remind myself to 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 think differently and to think more like proactively in a being grateful and 
you know, positive. Present and aiming for that in life. Like I do, I want to be present, I want to enjoy it mm. and have trust in it. Even when it's really shit, like my best friend Emma, she lost her beautiful, beautiful, bright girl Sylvie at 15 months to SIDS overnight, you know, just walked in one morning and she'd passed away. It's oh, your worst nightmare. And she is the happiest, most joyful, most alive person in my life. And she, Sylvie drives us every day. So every rainbow is a Sylvie rainbow. We do fun runs. She's got three other beautiful kids with her husband, Steve. Like she's my lighthouse. Mm. Her life is so bright and so beautiful. <laughs> you gorgeous to you. So. <laughs> but, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not saying this as a downer. I'm saying this as yeah. listening to this podcast now. Get out, look at the sunrise. Yes. Like she, she has a bigger life now. As she said, she would do anything to bring Sylvie back tomorrow. Of course she would. But what Sylvie has shown all of us is we look at the wrens now. We look at the birds. We look at – we yes. just soak life in. And, and she's been a huge part of our journey. Yeah. And we do massive fun runs together. And we just did the Melbourne fun run the other day. And she did a freaking half marathon again. You know, and she's crossing the line and we're just all bawling. And, you know, we were there and Simon ran – we ran the five and Molly ran with us and we had a sea of 250 people all wearing Sylvie tops. And that's, that's so life. Mm. That's life mm. through pain. Yeah. Like take the pain, you know, look at other people like that. Find someone like that in your life if you're struggling to find the joy because they'll show you. Mm. They'll show you the path and they'll show you to give back. And like what you just said beautifully, Beck, they show you to think differently. Mm. They, th- they show you that we can't control everything but we can control who we're surrounded by, who nourishes us, you know, like get out of the media if it's not nourishing you. You know, yes. I'll, I'll double back if I want to in time with the right project, if the right – values are aligned yes. and the right people I can work with. But yes. other than that, make a choice that connects you to people that make you feel alive, man. It's just the best. We only get one crack at this big, beautiful life. I'm oh. glad that I got to have this crack with you today. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, Georgie. Georgie. Oh. You are beautiful. Oh, and so welcome. Inside and out. So very, oh. very grateful. I was so, it was so much fun. Thank you for asking me to come on. <laughs> Even though Zoe's Georgie. in tears. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a hot mess. I'm a cold mess. You're a beautiful mess. No. She reminds me of Rose Byrne in, like, oh, in so Bridesmaids. No, I don't ugly cry. I can't ugly cry. She can't ugly cry. <laughs> that is too good. Oh, Brilliant. Thank oh, you. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Not Super Woman. You can find extra resources, links and information on our website, which is notsuper-woman.com. Is that a dash or a hyphen? A dash is a hyphen, Rash. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> um, and if you're enjoying what we're bringing, you can follow us on our socials and we're across all podcast platforms. So hit subscribe, guys.